rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity I'm Father Harry Dean with the Diocese of Austin, and with me today is Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, our coordinator of pastoral care for the restorative justice ministry in the Diocese of Austin, particularly in the Gatesville prison region, and Renee Brown, a licensed professional counselor and someone who has been with us for quite a long time now and assisting us with care of those who are incarcerated and those who look after them in the persons of the corrections officers. Today, we're doing a second episode on the topic of mental health protective factors. And so to start off, uh, Renee, let me uh, hand you to Deacon Ronnie. Renee, how can incarcerated persons increase their self-esteem? Sure, there's a a few ways that people can um, increase self-esteem. One is having belief in yourself that you have value. And, And that's kind of a challenging one, I think, especially for people who are incarcerated. I think for a lot of people who are incarcerated, they went in already believing they didn't have value. When you when you are involved in certain behaviors, when you're using um, substances to cope, most people who who do those things feel like they have lack of value. I don't have value. It doesn't matter. I have no no value. So part of this is kind of adopting a philosophy of I do have value. And I always encourage people to write things down. And I know that gets a little tricky when you're incarcerated because maybe you don't want people to find a journal or you don't want people to find your writings. So maybe you write something down for a minute and then throw it away later if you need to. Um, Because there's so much power in that written word. That written word that's in your handwriting, it seems a little weird, but it is. It's a very powerful tool. And so writing down like, where where do you believe you have value? You know, maybe you have value to your children. You know, maybe you have value in that you're a good friend. Maybe your value is you have value because you're a child of God, right? So writing those things down and, and reminding yourself that you do have value. Just because you're sitting in a prison, that does not change your value. As a human, we all have value. Um, the other thing is acceptance of your personal flaws, acceptance of your mistakes, and acceptance of your weaknesses. It's always it's easy to accept the good things about ourselves. I mean, we we can usually do that pretty well, but overall acceptance of of, of a person is looking at all the parts of me, looking at every piece of me, and practicing acceptance of that. Um, for example, this is kind of a silly one, but I talk really loud all the time. I think it's because I'm a former teacher. Maybe mother tend to talk loud all the time. And that's kind of a flaw because people don't want me to yell at them, you know, kind of like I'm yelling in this microphone right now. But I accept that, that that's just part of who I am. I try to work on it. Um, I have other flaws and weaknesses. Um, I use some really poor language when I'm irritated sometimes. Um I'm I'm known to throw out a few cuss words, especially if I'm irritated. That's a flaw, right? Or some things I need to work on. But I embrace that, you know, embracing those positive things about us and the negative things. 
Because I think what happens is we try to push away, you know, our flaws, our weaknesses. We try to push those away. We don't want to look at them. We don't want to deal with them, which can be dangerous because then it can put you um, in a place of trying to obtain perfectionism sometimes for some people. For other people, it, it plays into I have no value or worth because I have this flaw and this flaw and this weakness or this didn't work out. Another way that a person can build self-esteem is believing in your ability to um, overcome challenges, right? And right now, somebody's going to listen to this and they're going to go, what? You know what? I, I haven't had one challenge that I've overcome. And that's a fallacy to tell yourself. Because when I say this, examine the challenges you have overcome. That isn't today and that wasn't yesterday. You can take that thought all the way back to childhood if you want. You learned to tie your shoes. That was a challenge that you had that you overcame. Maybe you couldn't read, you know, or you struggled to read. That was a challenge. You overcame it. So any challenges that you've overcome in your life, and it may seem like a setback because you're in prison, but that that's one setback. Maybe there's five or ten associated to why you're in prison. But I bet if you really looked at the span of your life thus far, you will find some places where you've overcome challenges. Maybe you'll find some places where you've made mistakes, but it's okay, and you're going to make more. That's going to happen. But there's also some places where maybe you've done some really good things, and I can accept that. I can accept that maybe I was a good friend. I can accept that I was a good student in school. I can accept that, you know, I'll share things with others. But then maybe on the other hand, I've got some flaws, like I talk too much or sometimes I'm rude or sometimes I don't give people the benefit of the doubt. So it's about kind of having this focus of embracing all of self and reminding yourself that you do have value and you can overcome challenges. Um, One of the activities that I love to do with kids and clients, uh, we're not going to read all of these because um, there's 50 positive traits on this paper. But if you're listening right now and you have a piece of paper or pen or something, just jot a few of these down. Focusing on your positive traits, it will help you to kind of dig in and find your value. And what you want to do is when you identify a positive trait, give, give yourself an example of when you've practiced that. And so here's some positive traits. I'm going to, there's literally 50 on the list, and I'm not going to read all 50, but I'll just throw some out. Um, kind, funny, patient, loyal, creative, strong, accepting, flexible, Nurturing, confident, optimistic, determined, practical, selfless, organized, independent, cooperative, reliable, self-directed, innovative, brave, a listener, enthusiastic, forgiving, prayerful, motivated, helpful, 
and humble. And what you want to do, whatever you picked, and you could pick all of these. When I when I do this, um, I do this a lot with teenagers. I love this activity. And we'll go through and they'll pick out anything on here that they feel is a positive trait. And I've had some teenagers that'll pick like 40, almost 50, 48. It's amazing. And then they'll give me examples like how maybe they're kind to others or I've had kids, because one of the words on here is frugal, and they'll always, what does that mean? And then when I explain it, they're like, yeah, I'm really good with my money. I'm not spending my money, but I'll spend mom and dad's money or something like that, right? And so knowing your positive traits can help you develop, you know, better self-esteem. I was going to just add that uh, also your true identity, Mm. because I find a lot of folks uh, relate to their identity as to what they have or what they don't have, or I find them relating to their identity as to what people say about them. Can you speak to that in terms of of where that can take us in terms of um, a negative self-esteem? Oh, yes. That's such a, that's a great thought, Deacon Ronnie, because I think so much of what people believe about themselves, and I see this in counseling every day, what people believe about themselves is often built out of what somebody else has said to them. And a lot of times it goes back to parents because they're usually the most significant person in our life. And so, so many people will come in and they'll be like, you know, I'm just, I'm a negative person or I'm not good with money or, you know, I'm not helpful. You know, I'm mean. They'll say all these things. And I'm like, well, is, is this from your perception? Is this what you believe about yourself? Is this what somebody else has fed you? Who's told you these things? You know, oh, my sister said this, or my friend said this, or my coworker said this. And so it's so important that when you're doing this activity, this is nobody else's voice. This should only be coming from you and what you believe about yourself. Your truth and what you believe about you is more important than what anybody else believes. Other than God, what you think and believe about you is more important than any other voice in your head. And sometimes I call it, like in counseling, sometimes we'll call it um, tapes. Like sometimes we have these tapes. If you remember old cassette tapes or eight-track tapes, some of these young folks aren't going to know what that is. But what happens is we hear like tapes in our head over and over. You hear your mom's voice going, you don't ever do anything right. Can you not get it together? Or you'll hear this voice, you know, your husband, your ex-husband going, you you can't do anything. You are stupid, you know, or I'm no good, or the teacher in class, you made an F again. I can't read your writing. You can't add two plus two and get four. We hear all that. We hear that. And then we develop these thoughts about ourselves, which decrease our self-esteem, which decrease our ability to have positive thoughts about self. It takes away so much from us. So when you're doing this activity, Base this out of what you believe about yourself. And that's why I say give examples too, because those examples, when you can give an example from your own, like if you chose kind and you can say, oh, I was kind, you know, I gave that lady some money to get on the bus, right? Give examples from self, something that you've done that proves to you that you do possess this positive trait. And I would put that into the realm so often when we have people that come into confession 
and the examination of conscience is meant to be an honest inventory of where I have sinned and taken myself further from God. I like to encourage people to not only do that aspect, but for the whole of who you are, because you're not just a sinner. You're also a person that God has made to be a bearer of grace. So add to that examination of your conscience where I have been a good and holy person, because that's the whole of who you are. And back to what you were mentioning about this is needs to be what you see about yourself, not what others say. I would add to that, you want it to be where I see myself as God sees Ooh, me. Yes. Not it's those two things are separate from one another, but where the truth of who I am is the truth of who God has made me to be and how God sees me and understands me in any given moment mm-hmm. of life. And that that would be claiming your true identity as, yes. as a, a beloved son and daughter of God. Of God. And, and I use uh, Psalm 139. I just go back and say, remember, before your mother knew you, before your father knew you, your brother, your sister, anybody knew you, God knew you, and God knit you in your mother's womb, and he sent you into this world to love and be loved. And that's who you are. And you have to, that's the voice you have to hear. Because if you don't that uh, claim that, then you're going to be uh, drugged down this yes. false uh, path of false identity and, 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 and that leads to destructive mm-hmm. stuff. And I would say, too, that any positive trait that I just mentioned, and there's a lot of positive traits, and, and in another segment, we're going to get into strengths, right? Anything that I said that you don't feel like you have, it doesn't mean you can't develop it either. When I'm working with teenagers, sometimes, or even, even adults, they'll go, well, you know, I'm not very humble. Well, you can develop that. You know, if you want to be more, that can become a positive trait. So just because you don't possess it doesn't mean you can't develop it, because you can. Renee, what is meant by healthy thinking, and how does it act as protective factor for good mental health? So when we think about healthy thinking, um, a couple things come to mind. I just mentioned one of them, which is knowing our strengths, right? Um, and you want to you want to know your weaknesses, but you want to know them rationally. And, and what I mean by knowing them rationally means they're not consuming. Like, you're just focused on your weaknesses. Because we all have them. We want to accept our weaknesses, but we also want to know our personal strengths. Because your personal strengths are, are part of what's going to help you get through life. You know, when we look at our lifespan, knowing our strengths are going to help us get through. And the other one is practicing not to what we call ruminate which means getting stuck, basically. We don't want to ruminate in our mistakes or in our personal flaws or our problems. So many of my clients, that's where we get at. They, they are stuck. They're ruminating in the past. They keep thinking about past mistakes, uh, past failures, um, personal flaws, get really caught up in this. And when you're stuck, you cannot move forward. Think about it this way. I cannot move forward with one foot and have one foot in the past, you're not moving, you're stuck. So it's about part of healthy thinking is not being stuck on that. And it's not to say that you're not going to deal with a mistake. You're not going to deal with the issue that you have. It's not saying you're not going to deal with it. You're going to think about it maybe a couple of times a day or a couple of times a week, and then you're going to check it. You're going to put it in its little drawer and, and not get stuck in it all day long, every day. And so that's kind of one of the things about uh, healthy thinking. 
Healthy thinking, too, when, you know, it mentioned about knowing your strengths, and we did some of the positive uh, traits, but another activity that I'll do with kids is um, the 24 character strengths. And I've done this with a few adults, too. I'm not going to read them all again, but these are a little, they're similar to the positive traits, but just a little different. So it's just some strengths that you may um, possess, and kind of knowing these will help you with your healthy thinking. But having self-control, I mean, that's a strength. Um, having grit, you know, grit means I'm going to get through something. I'm going to persist. I'm going to get through it. Um, having humor. I think humor goes such a long way in life. Um, actually, there's a, a class I'm going to take. It's called Humor o- Yoga. So I think this is going to be really fun, but it's how to infuse humor into doing yoga. So we'll see what happens. Um, curiosity, you know, being curious about the world, being curious about life, people, um, love of learning. This is one of my favorites because I'm a former teacher. And so I know as a teacher, one of the things I wasn't so much worried about kids coming out with all these skills because everybody's different. But I did always want kids to leave my classroom with a love of learning. A love of learning can get you through so much of life um, because there's so much information that changes. It's a strength to have a love of learning, kindness, integrity, Um, fairness, showing fairness to people, um, uh, forgiveness, leadership. These are all strengths that can help improve your overall mental health. And I would just add to that too, the, the, the virtuous life that, Mm. which is not hereditary. I mean, that, those are things that all of us work on and are invited to, to move into as being a, a strength that carries with you. Which means you're going to learn it from the body of Christ, the church, what is a virtue, thus how can I live a virtuous life? And then once you learn it, then you're having to accept it as something that you want to hold on to, and then you have to practice it. And then we get back to where we started with this conversation is, now let me do an inventory or a review or whatever you want to call it of how have I been throughout X period of time. And of course, as a priest, I'm always kind of framing things within the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, which is from the last time I went to confession to now that I'm getting ready to go to confession again. I've got a time frame to work in. So I would suggest that, a, you know, periodic review is a good uh, way to, to help with this healthful thinking. Am I trending unhealthy? Am I mm. trending healthy to kind of look at and I've learned that from watching the, the COVID pandemic is how they look at it's not the numbers of today. It's the numbers over a period of 30 days. And that's when they start to, to make decisions about what direction we're actually going at, at any given time, um, which brings us to the things that we can control and the things that we can't control. So what are some of the things, Renee, that people can control and maybe add to that that they can't? that will build upon protective factors. Sure. So once again, I have this long list that we are not going to go through this list of, it's like um, 126 things that we could actually focus on and control. But I think it's so important that when we think about our um, protective factors for our mental health, I think so often people get caught up in what they can't control. And especially when you're incarcerated, right? You feel like I have control over nothing. You know, everybody has all this control. They control when I eat, when I sleep, when we shower, you know, how my bed looks, you know, this whole thing. There's this huge amount of control. But there are still things that are within 
your control, even while you're incarcerated. And so, and they'll protect your mental health. So just a few things in here. Something that you have control over is how you react to other people. And I know that some of these are going to kind of sound silly because it's like, they're not what we think of as typical control, right? But it is. How you react to somebody else, you have control over that. So if somebody is yelling and screaming next to you, you have a you you don't have to react to them. You get to decide how you react to that situation. Um, you get to decide which people you listen to because maybe there's somebody around you that's really negative or they're not offering anything you know, good and positive to your life. So you have a choice to listen to this person or not listen to this person. You have a choice to cut toxic people out of your life. You have that control to do that. You have the control to cut toxic people from your life. I can't imagine anything more challenging, I don't think, with being incarcerated and you look so forward to a phone call. And then that phone call is your toxic... Uh, ex-boyfriend or mom or dad just horrible on the phone and you're in a place that's so challenging and nothing that they have said was uplifting or helpful it was all toxic so you have control you don't have to talk to this person um so that and that goes back to another thing of control you have control over who you allow in your life you have the control over that You get to control how kind you are to other people. You get to control your level of kindness to people. You get to control your boundaries. Nobody else gets to control your boundaries. Boundaries are a piece that helps you have control over your your life. So um, boundaries are something that you can control. Um, How you channel your grief. Being incarcerated, there's a grieving process to that, not just if you you know, have lost someone dear to you while you were incarcerated. But while in incarceration, there's a grieving to that. Life as you know it is very different. You may even feel like it's over. So you have control how you grieve because grieving can look different for every person. So you have control over that. Um, you have control over whether you forgive yourself or not forgive yourself. You have control over that. I'm going to encourage you to forgive yourself, but... You do have control over that. Um, You have control over whether you look at your flaws. You have control if you're um, a gentle person. You have control over your patience. You have control over what to do with your anxiety. And I think that's that's relevant, too. Um, So much of my daughter's experience when she was incarcerated was anxiety. Her anxiety was out the roof. Um, But... She had control over what to do about it. So for her, like, she knew that a lot of times she was just sitting on her bunk. If she, at work helped her anxiety because she was outdoors, she's weed eating, she's kind of in her own head, you know, and she's away from others, that saturation of just being constantly with others. So she could c- control all that. She had the job, and then she could control, um, you know, her anxiety that way. You have control over what you do with your anger. You have control over that. Um, You control whether you react or you don't react. So you have control of your anger. 
Um, You have control about how you think about your past. You have control over whether or not you're going to judge people. Um, You have control over um, your sadness, uh, if you're envious or not envious. So, like I said, this is like a huge, um, uh, it's, it's 125 list of things that we have control over. But I think what happens is we don't think of control, our own personal control, in these terms. I think sometimes we make control very black or white. Well, I can control, you know, I can control my emotions, but I can't control my mom. I can't control that I'm in prison. I can't control that the drug, the judge put me in prison. I think we make it very black and white and make it control almost simplistic. And it's not. Your control is very in-depth. There are so many things that you're controlling every day of your life that you didn't even think about. And the great thing is, is when you feel like you have a sense of control, that also is going to increase the self-esteem that we talked about earlier. Your self-esteem is when you feel like you have some control and power over your life and over your world. Your self-esteem is going to um, increase. Um, Father Harry brought up like the things that we can't control. You cannot control other people. And that's where control gets murky for so many people. We think that we can control others, and we cannot. We even believe if you're a parent, we believe we can control children. We cannot. If I could, I would have some different outcomes for my kids, right? So so much of, of what we, we get concentrated on and we start feeling negative about, or really, if you look at it, we have fallacies that we can control others. Sometimes we believe we can tr- control every situation, which we can't. We can't always control relationships because there's two people in a relationship. A relationship is meant with two people. You can't control what other people do all the time. There's no way we can control what others are doing or thinking or saying. And so we get those really mixed up and then we get angry and other things happen. I would like to encourage people though that they can control the relationship that they have with God. I mean, you have control over that. You you can get up every morning and pray. You can go to Mass you know, when it's offered confession, you can do all of that. You have control over your spiritual well-being. You have control over that. One of the things I think that can happen for many people who heard you say that list of these are the things that we can control, I can experience on many of those a lack of a sense of control. That may be because mm-hmm. I have depression, I have anxiety, I have a clinical mental illness that pushes back against my sense of certainty that I can control that. And I've got that tape or record or whatever device uh, that, that uh, uh, playing in my head that says, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. And I'm seeing a counselor, I'm on medication, but my internal mechanism is to push back against that. Mm-hmm. Can, well, you know. That's a reality, too, I would presume. Oh, sure. I think I have clients that will tell me I'm depressed, but I I can't control it. Absolutely. You can control your depression. You can control your anxiety. And I think to maybe speak to what you're saying, so much of our experience is in our physical body. People who have depression and people who have anxiety, they actually feel it in the physical body. If you have anxiety, like I have one client. He knows his anxiety is going to ramp up because he starts sweating. I have another client. She feels it in her stomach. She starts getting nervous and gets butterflies. Somebody else may start getting a headache when their anxiety is kicking in. But you can control all that. People have this thought that they cannot control depression or anxiety, and absolutely you can. You just have to 
really get that sense of self, really learn about self. I think most of us really don't know self probably very deeply, right? And that's where therapy can be so helpful because some of the questions I ask people is, well, where do you feel your anxiety in the body? Because the body holds so much of your depression and anxiety. Well, if it's in my body, I have control over my body. That is something I can control. I may not be able to control cancer if cancer gets in my body. I might need help with that from a doctor. But overall, I get to control my body. I control if I put water in it or don't put water. I control if I work out or I don't work out. So depression, anxiety, you recognize it in the body, and then you can put in steps to control all of that. Renee, thank you. Deacon Ronnie, thank you. This has been very wonderful. This is the uh, final segment for our topic of mental health protective factors. Um, Please join us in the future for a a two-part presentation on strengths-based learning. That will be coming up next. And to close once again, let us call on our patron saint for mental wellness and for helping us when we are hurting mentally or emotionally. This is St. Dymphna, our patron saint. Grant all those for whom we pray patience in their sufferings and resignation to your divine will. Please fill them with hope and grant them the relief and cure they so much desire. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Brother, if you walk with me, Brother, 